0: Everybody, welcome back to Venture Podcast. I'm your host Dan Wills. I am pastor of Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska, and I'm so excited that you're joining with us today. as As we're going to finish up our series of "What Would Jesus Undo?" What is it that grieves God's heart? You know, week one we talked about where Jesus would undo indifference. Uh, week number two, we, was a really a powerful week where we talked about Jesus would undo hollow, hollow worship. And last week, uh, we talked about how Jesus would undo hypocrisy in our lives. And so this week, Jesus would undo spiritual pride. Jesus would undo spiritual pride when we find our value and our meaning in ourselves in what we accomplish, and how we compare it to others, rather than finding that, w- that we're supposed to be comparing it to Christ. And so I've been married to my beautiful wife, Jen, uh, for now over 25 years, and over the years I've asked my wife to help in some of my decision making, once or twice, that's it, once or twice, because I make perfect decisions all the time, right? not really, not true at all. There have been many times where that I've made decisions and my wife has said that it was probably not the best idea, but go ahead, you know, give it a shot. And so I go forward with my decision and a day or two later, or possibly only hours later, I have to go back and and tell her, sorry, I should have listened to you. You were right. Please forgive me. And my wife, who is you know, full of mercy and grace and forgiveness, leans into a little bit, and, and she says, Dan, I am sorry. Could you speak up a little bit? I couldn't hear you. <laughs> you know, we've all been there at some point, right? I was wrong. You were right. I'm sorry. And it's it kind of falls into place where pride comes before the fall, right? We, we've all experienced that, but Jesus would undo spiritual pride in our lives because he doesn't want us to experience the fall that comes after pride. And, and so we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 18, but I want to give you this heads up before we do. Somebody told me years ago, and it, and it stuck with me, one of the most loving things you can do for another person is to look them in the eye and tell them the truth. So today, through the words of Jesus, he is going to look us in the eye and he's going to tell us the truth. So we're in Luke 18 and Jesus tells us a story about two guys who go to the same place for the same purpose, right? We have two guys, one a Pharisee, he's a good guy, one a tax collector, he's a bad guy. And they go to a temple, the church, the visible presence of God in, in order to pray to God. And Jesus tells us what they pray. And and then he says, one of the men leaves right before God. One of them doesn't. But it's not going to be who you think. So if you will, turn to with me to Luke 18, chapter, uh, chapter 18, sorry, verse 9. Here's what it says. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Who is he telling this parable to? Some people who trusted in themselves. They hoped in themselves. They put their fate in themselves. Why? Because it says that they viewed themselves as righteous. You know, I do the right things. I'm right before God. And, and because they viewed themselves with righteous, it says they viewed others with contempt. You know, because our relationship with God can't be separated from your relationship with others. You know, the vertical always impacts the horizontal. And so Jesus is speaking to a specific audience. And this is what he says to us. Let's go on in verse 10. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So you have this Pharisee, right, the good guy that I was talking about. He was the respected religious leader in his day and time. There were six hundred and thirteen laws in the Old Testament, and while I'm proud of myself for remembering that number, he remembered every single one of them laws, and he followed them with a, you know to a T. He was respected in his community. He was like a pastor going to church, uh, or he was like a a Bible teacher going to church. Okay, and then you have the tax collector. If the Pharisee was like a a pastor or a Bible teacher. I don't know that there's a modern equivalent for the tax collector. Some translations say this, that he was a despised tax collector because he didn't just collect taxes for his government, he collected taxes for the Roman Empire that had come in, conquered his country, and oppressed his people, and and here he was funding the expansion of that empire throughout the world. So this guy that everybody grew up with was taking money to fund the government that was occupying their country. And but what's more is he took more than required to make himself wealthy. It was like a corrupt politician who is lining his own pockets. It's the drug dealer who's selling drugs to his own neighborhood in order to make himself rich. You know, he's the despised tax collector. And so they go to the temple to talk to God, and this is what happens. We have the good guy and the bad guy. And it doesn't matter if you've never heard this story before, but you can kind of imagine it's kind of like it's Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader or it's it's Jim and, and Dwight from the office or or maybe for you young young people, it's L- 11 and the upside down monster or or for all of us older guys uh, or ladies that remember this, it's kind of like Chuck Norris and whoever poor whatever poor soul Chuck Norris comes up against, right? Okay, so you're, you, you've got the good guy, the bad guy, you know, I know, and I know how the story ends. All right, so here's what it does. Look at verse 11 and 12. Jesus goes on, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give 10th of all I get. The Pharisee said this, he said, God, thank you that I do the right things, and thank you that I'm better than everybody else who's around me. And get this, the Pharisee wasn't completely wrong. He had some good things going on in his life. See, by the age of 12, he would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Not just the names of them, though, the whole thing, word by word. He spent time in God's word. He, he tried to do what was right in his life. He had some good things going. But instead of seeing the good things in his life as a gift from God, he somehow began to see himself as the gift to God. And, and before we look down at our noses uh, at the Pharisee, right, we would be wise to recognize and acknowledge the Pharisee that lives inside of us. Amen. And so instead of, God, thank you so much that I get to be a part of the church where I see you move every single week, it's, it's God, you're welcome that I showed up today. Or, hey, or instead of saying, God, thank you for the gift that you've given me and these children to be able to raise to follow you as God, it's more of, you're welcome that I bring them to church. Because we stop seeing the good things in our life as a, as a gift from God and begin to see ourselves as the gift to God. We begin to experience spiritual pride, and and spiritual pride promises us three things. It promises us self-sufficiency. You know, I've got it. I've got what it takes. I don't need anybody else. Look what I've accomplished. Look at the good things that I've done. It promises us self-sufficiency. It also promises us self-importance, where I have value. I live in the right neighborhood, I carry the purse with the right label on it. My kids go to the right school. I have an important job and I have value. I serve in a leadership position at church. I have value because I'm self-sufficient and self-important. And because of that, I'm worthy worthy of of self-exaltation. Everybody look at me type of attitude, and yet spiritual pride is this inward emotion that leads to outward action that that we would normally never want to be associated with. It's kind of like my first car. Uh, a few weeks back, I, I remember I introduced you to my Oldsmobile Delta Eight, uh, Delta Eighty Eight, with my my stereo that only worked when the headlights were running. And if you missed that, you, you got to go back a, a few weeks and listen to that that story that I shared. Um, but when I drove that car around, that Delta 88, it was a 1978 Delta 88 Oldsmobile. When I drove that car, my prayer life was fantastic. It was it was awesome because I would go around every single day praying, dear God, please don't let anybody recognize me while I'm driving in school today, you know, and I would like to know, did any of you guys have a car like that, you know, where your parents would call it a character builder you know and that's how I drove until I saved up my money from my jobs and my parents pitched in a little bit and and I bought a 1988 Buick Century. I had another stereo put in that car as well but but somebody who knew what they were doing put it in there so it didn't run as uh, the headlights were running but anyway and I would drive around listening to my vanilla ice okay trying to impress people. I didn't pray that people didn't recognize me. So what changed? Obviously, I was in a a different car, but what changed was my inner emotion that that led to different outer actions. And spiritual pride is the exact same way. We experience the emotion like the Pharisee, and it leads to outer action that we would normally never want to be associated with in like comparison. Would you look at what the lady is wearing? You know, we would say something like that. Or would, I would never be caught dead in that. Like, why didn't somebody say before she left the house that that's not a good look? You know, why? It's a comparison. Why do we compare? Because it's easier to have value in and feel value in ourselves by lifting ourselves up by pushing others down. You know, you want to know who the worst group is at comparison? It's parents. You know, it kind of goes like this, babe, I know we're not perfect parents, but John and Michelle, Michelle's kids, they are crazy. They're going to end up in prison if something doesn't change. Why do we do that? Because it makes us feel that we're better parents when we lift ourselves up by pushing others down. But maybe for you, it's not comparison. Maybe for you it's is this thought, you know what? I, I don't really need, need God in my life. Because I'm a, I'm a good person and I know a lot of Christians and quite frankly, I'm better than they are. And so I don't need God in my life. Or maybe it's not that thought. Maybe it's fault finding. You're an expert in everybody else's faults. Why? Because it's easier to focus on their faults than it is to allow God to address the faults that are in our own lives. Or maybe it's not fault finding. Maybe it's attention seeking. Hey, everybody, look at me. You know, that we're more concerned of how many people like our Instagram posts of a, of a Bible verse than, than we are allowing God to use that Bible verse to transform us to become more like him. You know, hey, it's everybody, look at me. You know, I've been a pastor for over 15 years, and I, and I certainly don't know everything. But here's my guess. That most of us don't struggle with spiritual pride, that inward emotion that leads to those outward actions because we wake up in the morning and we think we're, that we're that awesome. I mean, maybe there's a few of you that you're just like me where, man, I'm, I'm killing it in every area of my life and, and, and if that's you, that's that's good. okay. But I think most of us struggle with spiritual pride because we wake up in the morning and we know we don't have it all together. And we're not that awesome. And so we spend so much time and, and energy and an effort to trying to convince everybody else and, and trying to convince God and, and trying to convince ourselves that we're okay. And so maybe spiritual pride comes up in comparison or or maybe you struggle with the sneaky version that I'm gonna call reverse spiritual pride that, that goes like this. I can't receive a compliment with the simple and gracious thank you. But instead I have to deflect it with sarcasm. It's better to be lucky than good. Or maybe it's the, I could never be used by God because I'm not that good at anything. He hasn't given me a gift like he's given other people. Okay. Or I could never raise my hand in worship because I don't want to draw attention to myself or, or I could never share my faith with somebody at work because I don't want to be that super spiritual person. And I don't know enough about the Bible to do that. You know, I can never. Maybe it's the, oh, woe is me. My life is so bad. I deserve better. I deserve better than the person I'm sitting next to. I deserve better than my kids who won't listen to me. I deserve better than the job that I go to every week. And and yet the problem with the reverse spiritual pride is, it's the exact same thing as overt spiritual pride. Because it starts with what? It starts with me and my value is based on what i accomplish and how i compare with everybody else just like the pharisee and ultimately the problem with spiritual pride is this is that when we're full of ourselves there's no room for god when we're full of ourselves there's no room for god if i'm full of myself there's absolutely no room For our God. And and look at the Pharisee's prayer. You know, he says, I got it together and I'm better than everybody else, you know. So there's no room for God in that. But Jesus offers us a better way. So we're going to pick back up with our story in verse 13, okay? Here's what it says. Luke 18, 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He said, God, have mercy on me. Don't give me justice. Don't give me what I deserve. Have mercy on me because I am a sinner. Because he understands one thing, and it's this. If God doesn't intervene in his story, he is hopeless. Because there was a way for him to be made right under the law, and it was this, that he would pay back every single penny he's ever collected plus 20%, right? Right? Every single penny you've ever made, I want you to pay it back plus 20%. Could you do that? Uh, Who could do that? You know, it's almost impossible. And so, God, if, if you don't intervene in my situation, it's hopeless. And this is what Jesus says about the prayer in the next verse, verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God, right? But when we empty ourselves, when we humble ourselves like the tax collector, when we empty ourselves, we're in the perfect position to be filled up by God's grace. And here's why that's good news is because some of you probably listening right now, you've already are already feeling humbled. You know, maybe it's the life situation that's humbled you, okay? Maybe it's some choices that you've made that, that have brought humility to you. And you're already saying what the tax collector was saying, which is, God, if, if you don't intervene in my life, I'm hopeless. And the good news for you is that he wants to intervene in your life through Jesus Christ. And and he wants to bring hope. And he wants to bring mercy. And he wants to bring forgiveness, All we have to do is empty ourselves to be in the perfect position to be filled up by God's grace. When I was 31 years old, I became a store manager of a a large department store, and and it made me feel good about myself. And, you know, it's kind of like, look at what I've accomplished and and great things begin to happen. We began to profit and and we were making budget and and we were winning awards and and I heard what people said. You know, they said, man, Dan's a great leader and and man, he's done an incredible job and and man, he's going to go places and I liked it because it made me feel good. You know, look at what I've accomplished and look at how I compare with everybody else. But then we ran into a problem and the problem was we stopped winning awards and sales went down, and I didn't know how to fix it, and I'm supposed to be the man, and my value is based on what I've accomplished, and and I don't know how to fix it. So some of you that are listening today, and and you know that feeling of there's a problem, and and you know, I don't know how to fix it, and it's exhausting. You know, maybe it's your adult child, and you're going, man, we did the best that we could with him, and, and compared to other parents, we did a pretty good job but they're in a place that we would never choose for them to be and i don't know how to fix it okay or you woke up this morning in a financial situation that you never intended to be in and you don't know how to get yourself out you know i don't know how to fix it maybe it's the relationship that you're in and you're saying forget it make it forget making it great you know i don't even know how to make it work and and i don't know how to fix it And if you've ever been in that situation, it is isolating, it is depressing, and it's maddening. And I remember one day, I just finally had enough, and I said, the things that we think but we don't dare say to God. You know, I was like, God, where are you? I don't understand why this is happening. This isn't what I signed up for. I didn't move my family across the country for this, for nothing. Nothing. God, why do I feel alone? God, why why won't you help me? God, are you hearing what I'm saying? And there's only been a few times in my life where I felt God almost spoke audibly to me in a really clear way. And that was one of those times. And he asked me this question as, as I was just letting him have what I felt inside. He said, Dan, how many? And I was like, what do you mean how many? You know, that's ridiculous. I don't even know what you're asking. And he said, How many times do I need to tell you you are called to ministry? And I was like, I don't know, God. That's a kind of a ridiculous question. I, I can't just pick a, a number. And he said, How about a thousand? I said, Well that would be enough, you know, if, if you're gonna give me a thousand, that would be spectacular. He says, What about a hundred? And I said, God, 100 would be incredible, but, but I still don't know. And he said, what about 10? And I said, God, 10 would be enough, but I still, you know, I'm just not sure. And he said, what about one? And I said, yeah, God, one time should be enough. But, and then God said this, I am asking. You see, he got me because what he said to me was this, you can posture yourself like the Pharisee as long as you want, saying, look at what I've accomplished, look what I've done, but you're not going to find what you're looking for because what you're looking for in this is this unattainable goal. You're just building a prison for yourself to live in and and you can choose the better way. Which is the way of the tax collector to say what? To say, God, you've done more than I deserve. You, you've done more than I can earn. Because without you, my situation is hopeless. And, and what God did in that period of my life, I don't want to ever go back through that. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. And that story is emotional to me, not because of the difficulty, but because of the goodness of God that that he loved me enough to essentially look me in the eye and and tell me the truth, which is the better way to live through humility. Because when you empty yourself, not only are you in the best position to receive God's grace, you're also in the perfect position to, to be used by God. When you empty yourself, you're in the perfect position to be used by God. Sometimes I, I have people ask me this question, Dan, do you ever get nervous when, when you preach? You know, like if it's in, in front of 100 people or 1,000 people or if it's 100,000 people, does that make you nervous? And, and the honest to goodness answer is, is absolutely not. Absolutely not, because when I step up to preach, I I know that God has called me. He, He has equipped me, and he'll be glorified through me. So absolutely not, because when you humble yourself before God, when you empty yourself, you're not operating out of a position of weakness. Humility is a position of strength, not weakness. As pride is a position of strength, but but not my strength, not my sufficiency, not my importance, not that my name would be lifted up as a position of strength, because God is sufficient through Jesus Christ. He is enough for me, whether he uses me in a spectacular way or in an ordinary way of of going to work, doing my best, going home, loving my spouse and, and loving my children and never seeing any results outside of more than I deserve it's more than i can earn. And so Jesus Christ is enough and and that is the most confidence building situation and position that you'll ever find yourself in because God has called you. He's equipped you and he wants his name to be lifted up through you. And and you're going, "Damn, that's awesome for, you know, for a preacher, but i'm just a stay-at-home parent." Well, here's my belief. I believe there is no such thing as just In the kingdom of God, he has called you, he's equipped you, and he'll be glorified through you. He's given you a gift in those children. He's equipped you in a way to show them God's love in a way that no one else who walks the face of this earth will ever be able to show them. And not only will your life be changed, he's going to change their lives and their children's lives. Well, you're probably going, damn, that's awesome, but I'm just a construction worker. Again, there's no such thing as just in the kingdom of God. You're placed on a mission field that I'll never walk on to show the love of Christ to people that you work with. And then maybe on Wednesday night you're, you're going to work with students and you're going to show them what it looks like to be a man who's chasing after God. And, and Jesus's name is going to be lifted up through that. Because pride is about my glory. Pride is about making my name great. But humility is about God's glory. Humility is about God's glory. So how do we do that? How do we empty ourselves before God? There's so many different ways that God can choose to do that. You know, confession is a great way. You can serve others. That's a great way to bring humility into our lives. But I'm just going to give you one question to ask yourselves. When you're experiencing those inward emotions that lead to those outward actions that you would never want to be associated with, when you have that fear inside of you, when you have that anxiety, when you're facing a decision, ask yourself this question, is this about my glory? Is this about lifting my name up? Or is this about God's glory and lifting his name up? See, pride promises you freedom through being enough, but it delivers a prison of unattainable goals and humility offers the freedom that you can experience outside of Jesus Christ. Is this about my glory or is this about God's glory? Amen. I want to thank you for being a part of Venture Podcast and I hope you'll join us next week because I'm excited to be able to talk to you about a new series called A Way Out. So please join us. Talk to you then. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres, please visit our website at www.chandleracreschurch.com.